the Father, we just want to thank you for the testimonies given tonight, and Lord, of your protection, of your working in our hearts and lives, of uh, Lord, just your watch care and your love for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had with the Nakamuras, and Lord, uh, just uh, all that you have given us together, and Lord, a hope of uh, a couple years down the road that maybe they would be once again with us here at Open Door Bible Baptist. Lord, we pray for, we praise you for the opportunities that uh, they are seeking to give the gospel to you, which is parents and. Lord, we just thank you for your blessings in our lives. We thank you for the country in which we live. And, and Lord, just thank you for your watch care over us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Kids, to go ye. And, uh, Andrew, I don't know if the outlines actually made them off the copy machine. I got them all printed and then realized that the tabs were all out of order, so I tried to fix that a little bit. And uh, let's go back to Psalm 12. This is our, our second uh, in the series of the Bible here. And um, again, this may be uh, somewhat a review for, for many people, but uh, hopefully uh, it will be a blessing. We're going to uh, move very quickly through some material tonight, uh, I hope. And uh, uh, psalm 12, uh, we basically went through the psalm uh, that, uh, let's just read it once again. Psalm 12, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Now, we went pretty much through that psalm last week and and uh, spent a great deal of time. Uh, of course, we do not need to illustrate uh, how that the wicked walk on every side and the vilest men are exalted. Uh, just pick up a paper, turn in, tune into the news media. But what I would like for us to do is just spend a few minutes, which we uh, did not, on verses 6 and, and 7 here. As we... Looked here at, at this psalm, the key is in verses 6 and 7. It's the words of the Lord. Uh, that's what keeps the godly man from ceasing. That's what we are to be faithful in to. And uh, I uh, wish I knew a better way to, to say this or a better way to communicate this, but... Uh, just once again, we need to 
think about this. Our faith is not subjective. Our faith is objective. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. In, in many um, faith systems that are out there, uh, just out of curiosity, how many here used to be part of the uh, Roman Catholic system before you got saved? Okay. I think that probably the vast majority of of people, the the largest group, and yet here's what what I mean uh, by a subjective faith, is you walk into the building and everything is designed to make you feel and think about certain things. That's what the statuary is for, that's the big stained glass windows, everything is, is meant to have an impact on the way that you feel. Uh, if we go to the other extreme, uh, we can turn in the TVN crowd or uh, the cable news and they're jumping up and down and screaming and hollering and, and having a quote-unquote good time for Jesus. Uh, never will forget meeting a preacher from Africa and... Uh, he, he was questioning some of the things that he was participating in, and he was questioning the doctrine. And, and uh, we just got together for a very short time, and he says, well, what do you think about dancing for Jesus in, in that heavy, stilted accent? And I, I said, well, let me, let me ask you a question. If I were to come to your church and you were dancing for Jesus... I said, would I be drawn closer to Christ? Would I think more about Jesus? Or would I look at what was going on and think you were having a good time? And and he looked at me and smiled and he says, oh, he says, you think we having a good time. And I said, that's the problem, isn't it? And boy, he just went somber and said, I never thought about that before. You see, the reason why the Bible is so important is because it is the object of our faith. It's the only thing you can measure your faith by. If you're going to measure your faith by how you feel about it, if you walk up here at 31st Avenue, the Lutheran Church there, they have several different uh, churches that uh, rent from them. One is called the Connection Church. It's uh, supposed to be Baptist. Uh, how many of you have seen the new banner? I get along with a little help from my friends. Do you know who that quote is? Who knows who the quote is? Oh, a lot of people do. What would you think about a church that quoted one of the Beatles? who were Indian guru-worshipping people who had the morals of dogs. And they're going to help you worship Jesus. Is there just something a little confusing, or am I just so... No. Uh, That is what is defined as confusion, is where we go to the world. You see, that's a faith that has no object to measure it by. And right next to it is a sign for contemplative worship. 
How many of you know what contemplative worship is? That's where you sit down and you think about things. Really, uh, I looked up the definition the other day, and, uh, and uh, it is emptying yourself and really trying to think about nothing and allow the spirits to fill you. Uh, I'll challenge you, that comes right out of the Buddhist handbook. That's not from the Bible. Uh, it comes right from Wiccan, that's the witchcraft religion, uh, and many other types of things. You see, you would never accept certain things normally. But how many of you are familiar with the principle of a vacuum? You, you take the court, you take a, a piece of uh, paper and put it in a bottle, set it on fire, and then put a cork on the bottle. You ever done that? And, and it will suck that cork in so tight that you can almost can't get it out. In fact, if you want to do a magic trick, you take an egg and you boil it uh, in the shell and then you soak it in vinegar to make it flexible and then you hold it up and it looks like a regular egg. And you can suck that egg right through the tight neck on a bottle by putting the paper in there. And, and that's what this contemplative thing is all about. It's about emptying yourself, creating a vacuum inside you so that when you release the vacuum, you'll suck in whatever is in the world. And I promise you this, it won't be good. Again, these are subjective styles of worship. That's uh, the old... Uh, Line Quakers and, and Shakers, and uh, you say, why did they call them Quakers? Well, it was very simple. They believed they would sit in a room and contemplate. Now, they, they said they gave them something to think about, the holiness of God or some verse from the Bible, until you actually began quaking. And the difference between the Quakers and the Shakers was simply one quaked and the other shook. I mean, that, that, that's a historical history is much stranger than fantasy, is it not? But if you didn't receive the same things, then how in the world... You were judged unspiritual. In fact, many Pentecostal churches will do this. You don't experience what they experience. The problem is not your faith. The problem is you. And you get that fixed and you experience the same things they experience. Which leads to a lot of fakery. Because you want to be part of the acceptable group. And these things, it's just what happens you see, our faith is objective. And here it tells us that the words of the Lord are pure words. And I shared with you last time I was talking to uh, a young man who had rejected uh, what he was taught about the King James Bible and, and being able to objectify the Bible, being able to trust those very words. And says, well, this isn't talking about the Bible. How do you get there? Let me tell you how you get there. 
you choose not to pay attention to what's written down. How do you get faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the words of God. And those words are the key to your faith. And so if we can erase words or change words, then we can alter faith. And that's the goal. That has always been the goal of the devil. That's what he meant in the Garden of Eden when he said, Yea, hath God said. And so here it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, I I want to give you... Just an illustration, and again, if you've been through if you've been through the discipleship, you've heard this. If you've been through this lesson uh, several years ago when we went through these lessons originally, you've heard this, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. But the normal way of purification of silver was in an open kettle, basically an open crucible over a flame. Uh, the melting point of, of silver is not near as high as that of gold, and so you did not need a furnace. And in the purification process, as you melt down the ore, let's say uh, that you would have a hundred pounds, or, or let's just make it very simple, ten pounds of pure silver uh, that that is contained in the ore, and you melt that down, now you have a mixture of the the silver and the or, and you're cleaning that out, and let's, let's say you lose 10% of your silver because it interacts with oxygen for the atmosphere. Well, at $50 an ounce, $13, uh, 13 ounces per pound, how's that work out? Uh, 750 bucks, I think, something like that. Uh, Per pound, so you get 10 pounds at 7,500 bucks. So, not bad work. And you lose a couple hundred, not a big deal. Let's say you lose a thousand dollars. Well, you didn't have to spend five thousand dollars to build a furnace. So, actually, you came out ahead. You following me? Well, when you purify metal in a furnace, here's what happens. All of the oxygen is consumed by the flames. You put 10 pounds of silver in, you get 10 pounds of silver out. Nothing is lost because there's no oxygen Messing up your silver, making silver oxide, which is basically worthless. We use it on mirrors and things like that. You get everything in that you put out. Now, the writer, which was David, I wonder if he was a metallurgist. Probably not. But he would have understood that a furnace of earth you put in You get out what you put in. Any other type, you lose things. And so, under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, he uses this illustration, and then he says, The words of the Lord are pure, tried as silver, tried in a furnace of earth seven times. How many times do you have to purify something to be pure? Well, once. But if I put it into the furnace... Six more times, do I lose anything? 
Absolutely not. And now I can tell you it's seven times pure. What, I'm, what the author David is doing here is using what we would call hyperbole or exaggeration. He's saying it is absolutely pure. There's nothing missing. There's nothing added. It is God's words. And then verse 7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. How long? Forever. Now, I met a preacher uh, many years ago here in the city. He's from California. And uh, he was even a bigger smart aleck than I am. And he would get up and he'd say, My Bible is not pickled. And of course, I had to agree with him because he didn't have one of these. He had a rotten one. It was fault by man's intervention and man's changing work. But... I have a preserved book. You see, God promised He would preserve His Word. From this generation forever. Now, when David was living, what did we have? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. More than likely, Ruth, Job... Certainly, uh, many of the Psalms were written in David's own lifetime. Parts of Joshua, Judges, parts of Samuels and Kings, and the Chronicles hadn't been started until after the kingdom split. And, and so, we, we had a good portion of what we would call our Old Testament. And somebody might say, well, that only applied to the Scriptures that were existing in that day. Uh, Can you find any division in your Bible where it says certain parts of your Bible are preserved and other parts are not? Or does the Bible treat itself as one book? See what I'm saying? The Bible does not look down. In fact, Jesus, when He quoted the Scriptures, He quoted... Almost every book in the Old Testament, including Jonah, and vouched for the veracity or the preservation of those scriptures. The picture here that we need to understand is this is not a piecemeal preservation. This is as serious as it gets, money. You know what people used to do with the old coins in American money? They would get out a file and they would take off a little bit of silver because the coins were solid silver. And then they'd go spend it and they'd get another one and they'd take off a little more and they'd make a collection of silver filings. The only problem is there's this thing in the United States government called the Department of Treasury. And they have police officers. And if they catch you doing that, it's the same basic charge as counterfeiting. uh, Because you're devaluing the currency and you go to jail for a very long period of time. So, and by the way, don't think about doing that today. Because the silver content in American coinage is so low that it wouldn't 
wouldn't be of any value. In fact, our pennies aren't even copper anymore. They're zinc. And uh, zinc is basically worthless unless it's been formed as roof tiles. And then it's, uh, praise God, we didn't have to deal with that over at Union. Amen. But we dealt with a little bit what happens in churches that turn their back on the purity and the preservation of God's Word. Every year, for the last decade or more, the Presbyterian Churches of America, which is one of the more one of the groups of the Presbyterian Church, uh, Presbyterians, one of the more conservative of the Protestant organizations, has had someone in their. Uh, let me preface this here. Uh, they have a meeting every year of all the presbyters or preachers. That's why they're called Presbyterian. When John Knox set them up, he said, we will be governed by a council of all of the presbyters or preachers. Hence, Presbyterian Church. And so they get together in general council, that group, and every year for the last decade or so, someone brings forth a motion to the committee to ordain practicing homosexuals as minister, ministers of the Presbyterian Council or Presbyterian Church USA. And praise God, so far I think it's been voted down every year. But could you imagine an organization calling itself the Church of Jesus Christ even giving countenance to such an ordination and yet the Episcopal Church has already ordained practicing homosexuals and has a practicing homosexual bishop. Uh, or, uh, yeah, I think she just uh, was nominated a couple of years ago. The United Church of Christ, they are so far out there. Uh, the American Baptist Convention has ordained practicing homosexuals. Um, the Southern Baptists, they're still stuck on women preachers. And we praise God for that. But it comes up every year now in the, in the uh, general convention of the Southern Baptist Convention. Why? All these organizations have turned their back on the purity and the preservation of God's Word. Their Bible is somewhere, someplace, somehow. You can study the, the history the Bible college I went to, I've documented some of the changes in that Bible college. They've turned their back on the authority of God's Word. It's preserved. And I, uh, I, I don't know how else. I wouldn't send my dog to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And I don't have one. In fact, I don't intend on getting one either. But the simple truth is, nothing I was taught is now taught as truth on campus today. With the, they haven't gone to evolution and they haven't denied the deity of Christ. They've just denied the authority uh, of God's Word. They've denied the history of the Baptist Church. They've denied uh, separation from the world in any sense, in any manner, of any way you want to put that. Uh, they have to have a rock band warm up the people for chapel services now. It's, it's insanity. Why? Because when you turn loose of God's preserved Word, you'll believe anything. It may take a while, 
But you're going to go places you didn't want to go. And you're going to accept things for truth that you once denied and once called out as being lies. You see, the only answer to a preserved faith, like I preached about this morning, if if we are to build upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles then we have to use the same tools. We have to have the same faith. And that faith is connected to the words. And so that is the ultimate question as we study the Bible here. And uh, we want to understand that these claims that the Bible makes are claims that the Bible makes about itself. It is not some book that a group of people hold up, like the Book of Mormon or some of the other books that are out there today, and say, we believe this came from God. How many of you know the history of the Book of Mormon? The official history is that Joseph Smith had an appearance of the angel Moroni, who told him where to dig and find these golden tablets that were written on with invisible writing. He was then instructed to pick up a pair of glasses that he called the Urim and the Thummim. And by putting on these golden glasses found with the golden tablets, he would then be able to read and translate the writing, invisible writing on the golden tablets and make a copy of God's revelation to mankind. Now, That story is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. But really, it's not much more fantastic than saying the Holy Spirit of God put into men the words that God wanted them to write. But here's the difference. Joseph Smith was actually put on trial and asked to produce the golden tablets. He didn't. He was asked then to at least show them the... Urim and the Thummim, the golden glasses that he used to read them with. He could could not. They then gave him a Hebrew alphabet and asked him to identify at least one letter on the page, of which he could not do. They then tried the Greek alphabet and said, would you mind trying that one? He could not do it. The Mormon Bible says that the ten lost tribes of Israel... By the way, there are no such thing. But anyway, the ten lost tribes of Israel are the American Indians. Uh, DNA proves that the American Indians are descendants of Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire that crossed over the Isthmus and that they are Mongolian. Trying to get Jewish blood and Mongolian blood to be the same thing is just a little bit difficult. Well, it's impossible because we have Jewish people and we can check their DNA and we can see that there are there is no correlation there whatsoever. The Book of Mormon talks about peoples and civilizations that were supposedly existed on the North American continent of not one shred of historical evidence has ever been found. All of a sudden, if we put the Book of Mormon in that light, it becomes a fairy tale. It becomes something that is unbelievable. 
Well, let's take the same test and apply it to this book called the Bible. See, the Bible starts out with a verse, Genesis 1-1. If you know it, quote it with me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, you go to school today, if you have an education of any type, Ruth Ann's graduated, but she's not this smart. She just doesn't believe that we came from monkeys. And uh, I'll tell you, those, those little primates in the zoo... They were cute. They re- in fact, they almost some of them do look like humans. I mean, I mean, they act like people I've seen. I mean, isn't that right? Um, I've always said that's reverse psychology. You keep telling people they came from animals. Why would you be surprised when they start acting like it? Right? Uh, maybe we have something else going on there. But the simple truth of the matter is. Here is what, um, I got a quote in here and you can look this up here. Henry Morris was a, what we would call a Christian man who was a scientist. Not to be confused with the Mary Baker Patterson Glover Eddy Christian Science Movement, Christian Science Monitor. That is a cult. But uh, Henry Morrison was a Christian man who was also a scientist and He went through and did a little mathematical thing here. How many of you are familiar with probability? Um, There there is a science, there there is an actual mathematical formula to probability, and and, uh, it is something that we actually... um, How many of you are familiar with the shock trauma unit at hospital? When you are in an accident... They take you into a special shock trauma center. The, one of the first ones was in Baltimore, Maryland. And, and they explained to us the math behind the shock trauma unit. They list everything that is wrong with you. How many bones are broken? How much blood you've lost? Uh, which bones are broken? Uh, which, what injuries have happened to you? And they put it in what's called a matrix And that matrix runs through every treatment that it has been put into its history and gives you the most probable treatment that will save your life. Since that began to be put into effect, the survival rate, if they get you to the shock trauma unit and your heart is still beating, your chances of survival have gone up thousands of percentage points from before they had that kind of treatment. It's probability. It works, is the only way I'm trying to illustrate this. So here's what uh, we are saying here is, considering a three trillion year origin, most evolutionists say five billion year origin, but let's up that to three trillion years. A five billion light year, that's the amount of time it takes light to travel in a year, diameter of the universe, for each atomic particle acting to combine with others at a speed of 10 with 20 zeros behind it, you figure out what alien that is, 
you only have enough volume and enough time using a three billion year history, using every particle of matter in the universe, you only have enough for 10 to the 170th power. That's the number 10 with 170 zeros. That's bigger than the national debt, okay? Uh, It's a huge number. The lowest possible combination of the 1,500 steps necessary for the most simple life to form is 10 with 283 zeros behind it. Using every particle in a universe that's 5 billion light years across for 3 trillion years at 10 with 20 Zeros behind it, interactions per section, per second, would not even account, uh, would account, uh, uh, is not even half the time that you would need for an abiogenesis. It is mathematically impossible. So here's what the evolutionists came up with. Augmented evolution. That is the proverbial lightning bolt striking the pile of ooze that just happened to contain everything necessary to make life. You see, you'll believe in anything if you reject the Bible. And uh, that's just one of the things here. By the way, if we got here by accident, what are the chances of the earth being exactly 93 million miles away from the sun and tilted on its axis at 23 degrees so that we get a livable frame of hot and cold in earth. That doesn't count the fact that the atmosphere had to form around the earth with the exact amount of oxygen and nitrogen. Do you realize that if the oxygen level in our atmosphere which I think is somewhere around 9 or 10%, don't quote me on that, if it were doubled, all life forms on earth would die. Nitrogen is the primary element because nitrogen doesn't interact with things like oxygen does. That's why the trash pile at Union stinks. It's because of oxygen in the atmosphere. Uh, that's a prayer request. We've got to get that fixed real fast. All right, so we keep moving on. Depending on who you talk to, there are three to ten trillion cells in the human body. How many of you have ever poked a finger with a needle? Now, just to give you an idea, how many of those three trillion cells have you disturbed with the needle? But I'll tell you this, everyone, it feels like 13 if you dig it deep enough now, doesn't it? Uh, the, the, the issues are staggering. Energy, law of thermodynamics. We're on the back page here. I'm going to try to get through all this thing in the next four minutes. Uh, uh, anyway, it tells us that neither, energy is neither created or destroyed, except on Star Trek. And... Uh, that things will move from order to disorder. And yet evolution demands a suspension of both of those things. 
Uh, I like what one preacher said. He said, if everything actually came from a Big Bang, the order, uh, disorder to order theory, then the most beautiful place on the face of the earth ought to be the country of Iran. We've expended more ordinance in one small place than just about any place on earth. It should be absolutely gorgeous. Uh, now, uh, it really doesn't work that way. The more things we explode, the uglier things get. Now, don't they? You see, every known force to man, contrary to scientific belief, agrees with the Bible. We can measure the attraction of dust in the universe to the surface of earth. If the earth were five billion years old, at the present rate, considering a uniformitarian history of the universe, the dust layer on earth would be 125 miles thick, which is about the distance of our atmosphere. All life would cease to exist. In fact, when we sent men to the moon, the evolutionists at NASA built a moon lander with those great big pads. You know why? Because they expected the level of dust on the moon to be ten times that of Earth, and they were afraid that the lunar module would sink in the dust on the moon because there should have been about 50 feet of dust on the moon. It was about that much. You know what? It agrees with an Earth life of less than 10,000 years. Do you know our sun is decreasing in its size? Every year it gets a little smaller. Now, if we back up 10,000 years, we would have global warming. Greenland would be green, and there would be no ice caps, and things would be very different on Earth, but it would still be very livable. But if we go back 5 trillion years or 3 billion years, the Earth would actually be several hundred miles inside the outer ring of the sun. That would mean hotter than Mercury. Our earth is slowing down. Our universe is slowing down. Less than 10,000 years, we back it up. The speed is not going to be even noticeable. But if we go back 3 billion years, the earth would be spinning so fast that anything that wasn't bolted down, would be thrown into orbit. And yet, no one wants to pay attention. I mean, study some of these facts. We've gone over this. The laws of God. Mankind has yet to invent, come up with anything that is as simple and as moral as the Ten Commandments. Wherever the Bible, whatever the Bible speaks on, you can rely on it. Here's, I love point five, the persecution of the Bible. Diocletian, the Roman emperor, erected a column in Rome saying, extinct is the name of Christian. Of course, it was in Latin. In 303 A.D., In 313 A.D., Constantine became the first Christian emperor of the Roman Empire, claiming the name Christian. Now, we know he wasn't Christian, but it's amazing there. Um, In 19, 
1933, the British government paid $500,000 to the Russian government for the Codex Sinaiticus, which was an uh, ancient uh, translation, Greek manuscript of our New Testament. On the same day, in Paris, a first edition of Voltaire's uh, volumes were selling in the bookstores for 11 cents. And he was the man who said he would erase the Bible in his lifetime. Uh, the Pope got into this thing in 1199. Pope Innocent III, who wasn't innocent of anything, by the way, ordered the destruction of all Bibles. Uh, we still have Bibles. Amen. The Bible, when it talks about science, history, they don't put this in the books anymore, but back in the uh, late 1800s, all of the archaeologists said the Bible speaks about the Hittites of people we do not know about. They criticized the Bible. cannot possibly be true. They said everything we say about the Mormon Bible, they said about this Bible. Until one of those brainless freaks called an archaeologist fell through the roof of the library of the Hittite Empire. And then they realized the Bible was absolutely correct and they were incorrect. And that's not the only thing. The Bible says the earth was round. The king of Spain might have had a problem. No. Everybody that had any brains in 1492 believed the earth was round. There were very few people in 1492 that actually believed in a flat earth, with the exception of the Bugs Bunny cartoons. And so we'll keep moving on. The earth is suspended in space. That's in your Bible. That you can't count the stars, um, unless you're Rocky Moselle and get a star named after you. Uh, anyway, uh, the stars are innumerable, that there were mountains and canyons on the ocean floors recorded in your Bible in Second Samuel chapter 22. And in Jonah, it wasn't until modern history that we were be able to explore the bottom of the ocean and find out that was true. It wasn't until the 1880s that science began to actually document the currents inside or underneath the ocean. The Bible talked about those. Solomon spoke of, in Ecclesiastes of the hydrological cycle that the rain, the ocean water goes up into the clouds and sends his rain on the mountains and runs back into the ocean. How many of you learned about that in school? That was in your Bible a thousand years before Jesus was born. As much as science wants to refute it, living things produce after like manner. And, and still does. And all, always has, unless there has been some type of intervention. By the way, if you follow the Bible rules when it talks about leprosy, you won't catch leprosy from a leper. We didn't know about contagions until Louis Pasteur in modern times. Yet the Bible already had it printed for us. The Bible gives the rite of circumcision and said it's supposed to be performed on the eighth day. Scientists have 
discovered that on the eighth day, the coagulation of the blood is at the highest and it would be the least painful and the least problematic to perform the rite, exactly as the Bible predicted. By the way, the life of the flesh is in the blood. George Washington was bled to death. He caught pneumonia because they thought that all disease was bad blood. And I imagine you could still find some people with a box of leeches out there somewhere uh, practicing ancient medicine. Let me tell you, mankind, in all of his folly, in all of his foolishness, has only verified what is already in the Bible. If God's Word is preserved, i got a question for you. Where are you going to find it? Other than in this old King James Bible and the text from which it came. You see, you can spend your whole life arguing about the Bible or you can allow the Bible to be the object of your faith. And I want to challenge you, look at the life. The difference in the life of those that believe the Bible versus those that don't. I'll take this book a thousand times over Elvis Presley. How about you? Or Michael Bloomberg that is so concerned about people drinking soda. And yet is pro-sodomite marriage and pro-abortion and all these other things that are out there. I, I don't get it. Does it make sense? I'll stick with this book. How about you? That's basically our introduction. You cannot improve on what this book teaches. I'll tell you what you can do is surrender yourself to its words. Make it the object of your faith. And somebody will say, and God will be pleased with you. No. God doesn't need us to believe His book for it to be true. We need to believe His book so that we can have a relationship with God. I used to think you had to go out and convince people. I don't do that anymore. If you won't believe what the Bible says about your personal sin, it doesn't matter if you believe everything else. But if you believe what the Bible says about you and your sin and what Jesus did for it, you won't have any problems accepting what the Bible says about creation and about anything else that's in the Bible. That's where your faith, and as you witness to people, don't worry about trying to answer all their questions. Uh, I know that, uh, well, who was that? That debated Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, what a crock. You're not going to get anything by debating the world. The people that hated God came out hating God. The people that... Hated evolution came out hating evolution. It didn't change anybody's mind about anything. That was documented. 
But I'll tell you what, how many of you remember when you first believed what this book said about your sin and you cried out to the God of heaven to save you from your sin? Things changed, didn't they? Can we say amen to that? And so let's put our faith in this book called the Bible. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and as we begin a study of this subject called the Bible and we want to believe what the Bible says. Lord, everywhere we look, we have every reason to believe it more and more. We pray that you would help our faith to be based upon the object of the words that are in your Bible. And Lord, that you would give us the ability to simply have faith in God. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, once again, we'll just keep our heads bowed. If you need to slip out, the altar is open. And we'll begin our prayer time in just a few moments.